Welcome back to a definitely not recorded in front of a live studio audience broadcast of Storm King's Teddy, episode two. Um, hey, Kat, uh, let's talk about episodes for a second. <laughs> I was... All right. W- so this is our third podcast uh, covering our game with uh, Teddy and company. And uh, I've been just uh, calling it episode one, episode two. I'm changing that. As of now, this is officially episode two, and I'm go- calling the first one episode zero. So they will all correspond with the uh, with the game number. Yeah? Does that make more sense? Yep, that works fine with me. All right, so um, let's uh, just right out of the gate. This is probably going to be pretty long because we had a lot happen in last night's game. But uh, first impressions of the game, I had a freaking ball. It was good. Uh, it was a lot of um, combat and puzzles and puzzle combats and um, RPing in between sessions and ending um, on a good note for us to RP in the channel, which I'm looking forward to. And, you know, I'll tell you what, um, we had kind of marathon yesterday. Um, so um, almost eight hours of D&D. Yep, we had uh, woke up in the morning, had a D&D session then, had about a, like a four-hour break in between, you know, got some lunch, and then we had um, Teddy's campaign in the afternoon, and um, yeah, we had a big D&D day yesterday. And a podcast in between. I always forget the podcast. <laughs> it, I just always forget it. Um, so, and then here we are, basically less than 24 hours after we started yesterday, doing another podcast, so... Uh, man, I was ready to get out. Uh, I have really comfortable headphones and I was so ready to get out of them by the end of Teddy's. And it wasn't just that it was because I'd, you know, throughout the day been in them for the better part of nine hours. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was a good game and, um, you know, so what was the most important thing on your mind all week? Um, oh, I, I know what you're getting at this time. Uh, you were wondering if, uh, if Keelan's alive or not. And I am, uh, proud to introduce Eddie Vetter to tell you that, in fact, she is very much still alive. So, uh, in no small part due to the, uh, incredibly selfless contributions of the party who immediately jumped right into the fire to uh, put themselves on that teleportation pad and uh, and then have Winifred try to pick the lock and come through. So, um, yeah, she was very grateful to everyone who did that. And then Winifred even picked the lock, so he was able to, to join the fight too. Yeah. It was a a big group effort to save our wonderful, loving cleric, and she is most appreciative. Um, so the uh, and I will also say so this was a fairly um, fairly intense combat for the party as a whole, don't you think? Yeah, the rats. You know, there was many of them. Um, 
but they kind of had low HP and, you know, they didn't really hit very hard. So it was kind of like an introductory one. This one kind of was a little bit on the opposite end where, you know, you had the giants, they hit pretty hard and but, you know, they were zombies, so they were kind of weak in the end. Um, so they didn't really have much in defensive or hit points and much. But, you know, they kind of came and they 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 swung their arms and they swung hard. Right. And you know what? The, as far as uh, as far as armor class goes, you and I, as we mentioned before, 18 armor class, I got swung on three times during this combat and hit twice. And uh, fortunately, not as much damage as could have been done. But man, um, I was feeling practically naked in that combat. And also thinking that I probably wouldn't have survived. I mean, I would have had to done a lot of running. And then as we get into this a little more, we're going to see that um, I would have run right into other things. So, um, but yeah, everybody uh, contributed uh, to the fight. All Keelan really did was provide a target and uh, did a bless spell. And man, I've got to not include me in bless spells. Um, you guys, uh, there are other characters in the party that can do so much more damage than Keelan and need to connect way worse than I do. So I think in the future, unless I am one of the only targets that I can reach, then I'm just not going to be in the mix. Um, so, um, and on the topic of that, uh, okay. Uh, I'll concede your uh, original assessment of our damage dealing capabilities was closer than mine. Yeah, I, I was hoping I was right and I am proven right, which is not, that doesn't happen very often, but <laughs> the party has coming through and we're dishing out damage like people deserve it. Yeah, um, and I was so my skepticism was we just didn't have what I call an artillery platform, but uh, it turns out that we've got a lot of people that really do hit like a truck. So uh, Keelan's just not one of them, and that's fine. I mean, um, you're, I don't think that the uh, cleric in the party should be your primary damage dealer, although uh, you know, uh, around fifth level when I start picking up stuff like spirit guardians maybe that'll change a little um, oh absolutely as as um we ended last night's session i think everyone and the party is looking forward to getting level three because a lot of abilities awaken for a lot of people at level three like for a paladin i get my oath i know mm. for a rogue they get their specialty um no idea what happens for the artificer at level three but you know porsche's looking forward to hitting level three so i bet something good happens for her sure yeah three definitely so uh in the case of keelan i pick up second level spells and the reason that's huge is aid spell which is good for um which is good for a lot of the party and then um the other one is spiritual weapon which allows me to actually make use of my bonus action. So that'll be huge. But yeah, it was a, it was a good fight. We got a little bloodied in the fight with the giant zombies and then, uh, walked on and we found, uh, what was the next thing? Uh, Oh, it was 
the cave the, the maze. The maze and the cave collapse. Right. Okay, so uh, we found a, a area of collapsed cave, and then we had to split up into two teams that um, one of them was to clear rubble, and the other was to shore up the ceiling so it didn't fall down on our heads. And how did we split? It was you and me. Um, so we're, we're the strongest two characters in the party. Yes. Um, actually, I don't know what Lars's strength is. He looks buff. <laughs> That's a very good point. I, um, so his character is described. He might as well be a Chippendale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got glam muscles, but yeah. I mean, as, as we learned, they are glam muscles and not real muscles. But uh, it, for all we know, it could have just been a bad role. Yeah, and he actually does have some pretty decent muscles underneath all that. But so, for for now, the strength of the party and physical strength is you and me. And uh, Tabane has a sixteen strength, so you get a plus three modifier. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And Keelan's got a fourteen with a plus two. So um, the three of us teamed up to actually clear the rubble, and you and I made our. Uh, made the rolls that we needed to make, and um, then Lars obviously missed. <laughs> That's why we're making fun. And uh, but <laughs> he can't keep his shirt on. <laughs> yeah, every that time was he a does something, theme. it was hilarious. He'll t- just take his shirt off for no good reason. <laughs> so you and I are moving, moving like freaking boulders in in chain armor. <laughs> And he's got his shirt off. Um, got his sh- shirt off, flexing around, wiping the sweat off, moving like a couple pebbles here and there. <laughs> uh, so, and so as much fun as that was, it was actually interesting to see the other team that was shoring up the ceiling work too. Um, so that was Portia, Prue, and Winifred. And so uh, you mentioned this earlier, and I agree. So, uh, I don't know that Prue uh, trusts Winifred yet. And no, there's there's been moments um, like in session zero where you know he handed over documents and Prue's just like let me let me let me take a glance at those to see if they're real or not. And other moments where you know I I don't think she just she doesn't trust or she isn't. She's hesitant around Winifred. Yeah, for sure. And so, and I don't know that, I mean, you know, she's part of a, you know, the city guard or whatever. So is probably naturally suspicious. Anyway, I don't know that she quote unquote trusts any of us, but it just seems like she's more suspicious of Winifred than uh, some of the other uh, characters in the party. And they were forced to work together in the, um, on the shoring up the ceiling. So, and they worked together really well. Yes. And, and then of course, Portia, uh, <laughs> was the Lars of their team at miss, uh, missing her role. So, uh, but we did uh, succeed both on both sides as a party. Uh, we got the rebel cleared. We kept the ceiling up where it was supposed to be and made it through. 
So the next um, encounter that we had was a room full of uh, this carnivorous plant. Um, and thanks to some identification rolls, we found out it was called a uh, commonly called bloodweed. And I think the way that Teddy described it was it would like uh, capture you, constrict around you, and then um, uh, pierce you with thorns and drink your blood out through the thorns, right? Yep. And then, so it didn't move like lightning fast. So we were able to do one of three checks. I made survival. The other was athletics and... Acrobatics. Acrobatics. Right, right. So you could make any of those three checks that you wanted to get through the room. And I think it was only like a DC-10, wasn't it? It wasn't incredibly hard, yeah. Okay, so um, so we... yeah, it, All of us ended up making it through by making one of those specific rolls. And we all did... But this was this was actually something that I enjoy, uh, and I should have mentioned it earlier, about Teddy's game. And that is, it's not just the mechanics. The mechanics are important. You've got to make your rolls. You know, he's going to set the difficulty rating, and then, um, you know, you've got to make the roll in order for your character to be successful at something. But even if you're successful, he'll then kind of roll back and say, okay, now you've made your acrobatics check. Tell me how your character goes about doing this success and then describes it. So for me, what that does is it pulls the entire game away from just being rules, dice rolls and mechanics and makes it more of a, you know, more realistic. What do you think? I agree because, um, instead of just like, making a role and saying like, okay, you all made it across moving on to the next encounter. He took the time for each and every one of us saying like, Oh, um, Portia was running through kind of like frolicking through the, the weeds. And when every time one got closer, she just kind of swatted away and went eek. Or, uh, me, I just, you know, like in basic training, since I'm a soldier, just blaze straight through it, sprinting and chain armor, making it look like nothing or and my personal favorite how winifred, winifred. went through it <laughs> is living up to his namesake of winifred the bold that he just couldn't care less is like oh these are carnivorous plants i don't care they're not going to touch me and just boss walked straight through it without a care in the world yeah that was really great uh just everybody else was like uh you know flipping dodging running you know uh just doing anything they could and winifred just he made his role and he just walked right straight through (laughs) so yeah that was pretty epic uh i was i think i was the only one that made a survival role everybody else did acrobatics or athletics yes and uh, i suck at those things for the most part so um yeah uh and so I tore off like a little piece of my cloak that had been bloodied by the fight with the giants and threw it as a decoy. And when it smelled the blood or whatever, it went to that. And then I was able to get across. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. Uh, even though it was a fairly short encounter because we all just aced it. 
um, it was it was still fun to uh, see the way that people RP'd the stuff. Okay, so right after that, we ran into what Teddy described as the obligatory uh, uh, acid trap. Right, so uh, it was just a trap door in the middle of a hallway that um, immediately led to a pit of weaker acid. So um, that could have been pretty disastrous, but we found it. Winifred was able to disable it, and we could skirt around the outsides of it. So once again, that was a fairly easy thing for us to get through, but if we hadn't seen it, you know, could have caused us a lot of damage. Um, anything to talk about in, at that encounter? No. That was just your classic obligatory acid trap. <laughs> okay. So the uh, traveled a, a little bit further along and came across a uh, room that was covered uh, floor and ceiling in spider webs. And... Um, so immediately, where do we look for spiders? You know, common sense says spiders look up, corners, yep. ceiling. Uh, that's where the cocoons are and everything. You know, just you look up for spiders. Right. And so uh, we assumed that when we stepped on the webs that they were going to be alerting the spiders that we were there. So the party decided that they were going to hold actions and just kind of create a semicircle around where the webs were and wait for the spiders to show themselves. And you and I, having the highest armor class, walked out onto the web to trigger it so that the spiders would come running at us and they'd run right into all the fire. And... We found out that our assumptions were uh, both correct and completely incorrect at the same time. So uh, with Keelan's passive perception, she was able to notice a, and I think I really aced this roll. I think I like rolled a 20 when Teddy asked me to roll the, um, the perception. We saw, or I saw a, I saw movement underneath the web and alerted you because it was headed towards you. And what we found was that the floor, what we thought was the floor, was just solid webbing. And that the actual floor to the dungeon was 10 feet below. So the spider would feel the vibrations and come after the prey, but it would attack from underneath. That was pretty cool. Yes, it was It was very clever on Teddy's part. And it was another moment in combat where he kind of, like, he blew my mind or made me think, like, everything's not as straightforward as you think it is. I mean, just because it's a spider room doesn't mean spiders need to come from the ceiling. And he proved us wrong by having spiders come from underneath. So it's it's making me really use my noggin in combat and everything's not as black and white and straightforward as you would expect things to be. So I'm really looking forward to future encounters and um, 
other combats to where it's not going to be as straightforward as just run in hack and slash. It might just be like, yeah, use your brain, access the surroundings, you know, like just, it's just not straightforward. Oh, um, so backing up before we saw the spider, um, when we got to the edge of the webs, Keelan's first idea was torch it, <laughs> burn it down. And, <laughs> and yes, uh, anarchist of the party. <laughs> uh, so uh, at the very beginning of this dungeon delve, we ran into the rubble and when we fought the rats and I said, you know, we should set the debris behind us on fire to create a barrier for the rats. And I handed the torch off to Lars mm-hmm. and <laughs> Lars forgot to set the fire. <laughs> so we ended up, um, not burning that. And then we came to the spider webs and Keelan's first idea is burn it. <laughs> she really wants to set something on fire. Um, so I, there's going to be no stopping me when I get flame strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, we, uh, and I say in retrospect, it was still a good idea. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, it was, was it Prue, right? That told me that, yes. you know, Hey, there could be the people that were trying to rescue in there. And so for once <laughs> I actually RP'd my intelligence, let's burn it down. You know, we're here after people, maybe they're in there. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're here to save people, not turn them into cinder treat. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, the uh, I got a told the dead off on the spider as a held action, um, but when it erupted through the webbing, and uh, its first first thing it did was spit a web on Tabanay. Yes, which is me. Um, I was acting as bait, and I fulfilled my role flawlessly, and the spider came after me. Um, And you missed your save. Yeah, and I, yeah, he hit my AC. Um, And I had no plan whatsoever. I just wanted to be bait. Sure. Just to like lead it out towards away from the party. So when I got like all wrapped up, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, um, this is great. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, but when the spider did erupt through the web, uh, the whole calliope of held actions from our party went off and it took some pretty severe damage. And, um, so in the initiative order, Keelan was, right before Tabanay. And so during my turn, I ran over to Tabanay to try to free you. And when, and then Teddy basically informed me that I needed an edged weapon of some kind to, um, to slash the, the threads. And I didn't have one. I mean, I have a mace and (laughs) that's about it. So, uh, I was fumbling for something to do. So I ended up taking one of my crossbow bolts out and using the bladed head to try and, uh, slash at the, uh, 
at the threads. And I don't know if that increased my difficulty rating or if uh, he left it the same. But either way, I barely made the roll uh, to cut Tabane free. And I think the way at least he described it was that uh, if you hadn't been as strong as you were, it wouldn't have succeeded because I slashed it and then you kind of hulked out of the webs and then immediately was able to attack the spider. Yep. And you hit it and did some really severe damage, right? Yep. I put a, I think I almost, I was like, I rolled a nine out of a 10 and I, uh, or I rolled a seven out of an eight, I think. And, um, and I really, really put a big gash into it. Yeah. So, um, anyway, with the way that Teddy put it was this spider can hit like a truck. Well, thanks to everyone working together on this, it actually didn't get a regular attack off. I don't think. And if it did, it didn't connect. But I don't even no, think I, it got an attack. I think the only attack it it actually put towards us was its web ability. Right, right, yeah. I think that was the only attack it got off. Okay, so uh, anyway, we ended up killing the spider, and there was only the one. I guess there was a few like um, small spiders up in the webbing, but just the one giant one that we had to face. And then uh, about half of our party ended up going underneath the webbing and the other half on top because we were uh, looking at these cocoons. And there was, what, five of them? Is that right? Let me... Um, I think that's correct, yes. All right, so uh, a lot of them just had, like, dead rats in them or... We found uh, one that had something called dark mantles that kind of looked like stalactites in them, and which immediately made me think we need to start looking at ceilings more. Um, and so I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a good call or not, but um, we, we thought we'd need to look at ceilings for spiders too. But um, so then we also found underneath the webbing in one of the cocoons, we found the human. Uh, uh, Stormwatch guy. Um, I keep wanting to call him Yander. Yander Boot? Yander Boot. Okay. Um, and um, so found he had his badge. He had a vial of holy water on him. Um, his armor, a coin purse with a few coins, and then uh, a short sword. And Keelan took the short sword. And not that I'll ever use it in combat, but I decided that I definitely needed an edged weapon on me. I think when we have downtime, I'm going to go buy myself a nice dagger um, or even just a knife. Um, so um, then once we identified him, we went on. We didn't collect the body. We figured we'd collect the body on the way back. And um, the other things that we found in the web were, uh, of significance anyway, uh, we found a red-scaled kobold. And uh, had a backpack with some potions in it. Potions were, um, one of them was just acid from the acid trap that we found earlier. One of them was an antitoxin that would give us uh, a save versus, or uh, advantage on our save versus poison for an hour. 
Uh, one was a uh, goopy orange and red liquid, Alchemist Fire. Keelan's interested. <laughs> and um, the other one was a potion of healing. But that wasn't the real treasure, was it? No, the real treasure was from the Cobalt's uh, backpack. He, um, from the from the potions or the vials or um, whatever they're called, he was an alchemist and his backpack transformed into an alchemist table. Right. So that, that is, um, I, yeah. So an alchemist workbench in, at the size of a backpack, you just fold it out and, and boom, you've got a workstation. I don't know how practical it is or if it'll ever get any use. It's just a cool, it's just a cool item though. It is, and I immediately, um, in character, was just like, oh, Portia might like this, because, you know, she likes to tinker with things, she's an artificer. Um, I thought this was, like, a cool, neat contraption for her. Um, As a player, she knows what it is, but as in character, she didn't, so I kind of, like, teased to her that, like, ooh, I found something for you, like, you get a present, and she was all happy and giddy about it. (laughs) Clapping, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, it's fun to find cool things like that in RP about it. Okay, so just so you know, um, I think that this party is doing a, was talking about RP, I think the party as a whole is doing a really good job of roleplay. In this session in particular, because let's face it, I mean, we didn't really know one another, session zero, session one. I mean, we're still, and still don't know each other a lot, but we've loosened up considerably over the first two weeks, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that, so Winifred is dead nuts on role play. I mean, just because he's so stolid and, uh, you know, just completely, uh, removed from any of the BS that's going on around him. And then, uh, and Portia, just like you said, every little thing just sets off uh, like a, a very gregarious giddy response. Um, and <laughs> Lars's role play has been exceptional, uh, with just, just from a, um, a, a perspective of, like I said, he, he almost presents himself like a Chippendales dancer. And, uh, and so I don't get, I don't hear a lot out of Prue, but I really think it's because Prue is so analytical about stuff. So uh, I don't, I don't think that it's a negative, Uh, just it's when you, when you have like a gregarious personality like Portia, it's, it's tough to see a good role play when it's more subdued. So, um, and, uh, I haven't, I haven't, I don't know that I've picked out a good personality for me yet. Um, but working on it. How about you? How do you think you're doing? Um, I'm doing better. Um, I mechanically wise, I finally have a vision for my character. Now I just need to like RP and find a personality for her, um, which is easy because I just need to play the game and just be in the environment. So, you know, eventually I'll find a personality for her or just something I can work with. Um, but going back, I absolutely love any interaction 
Prue has with Winifred or Lars. Oh, yeah, completely agree. <laughs> Any interaction with her and those two, I hear an audible sigh before <laughs> she speaks and says anything else. It's like she just is at her wit's end with those two, and it is absolutely amazing to watch. Yeah, so I've been having a lot of fun with that. Uh, okay, so getting back to the adventure, we left the webbed room, went further in. We found a goblin, not a hobgoblin, a goblin, right? Yes, yeah, so it was a regular goblin. Named Gorko, which reminds me of Orko out of the He-Man series. And uh, he said he was starving and threatened us at first, but um, we offered him food. And so he started talking to us, told us a little bit about what was going on, said he came in with his buddy, Karen, Karen, yes. yeah, and uh, a wizard that was a, a Zendriki scholar. And, um, so Gorko was a thief and supposedly they were down, uh, in this cavern trying to recover a large relic, a magical relic of some kind. And, uh, he had seen Steeljack, the, um, uh, Warforged. Warforged. Yeah. That, uh, so, and said that he hoped he was still alive. Seemed like a good guy. But, uh, so we at least know that up to this point, Steel Jack was still alive. And, um, he also warned us of what he called a rust monster that was, uh, lurking in the area, described it as a worm and it ended up being a, uh, carrion crawler, which was our next combat encounter. And we, uh, were warned of a, uh, loose collection of rocks on the ceiling in one of the passageways. And when we started fighting the carrion crawler, um, my, the first spell that I cast was a cantrip. Uh, I did toll the dead. There was a huge bell gong and I almost brought the ceiling down on three of us. <laughs> so, uh, not the uh, most wise thing I've ever done. Um, but, uh, we did end up, killing the carrion crawler um man that thing was all about having folks make poison saves yeah it was scary at first because you know reading the description you got to make a save and then you're poisoned for like a whole minute and at our level that's deadly it's i mean i don't think well we have that one potion um, but if multiple of us got poisoned, then, you know, it, that could be fatal. But everybody that was hit with the, with the like tentacles, um, ended up making their save, uh, against the poison state, uh, and it just took, uh, straight out damage, which was bad enough. But, um, anyway, uh, once again, uh, I was mostly ineffective in combat and um the rest of the party um drew down on this thing and prue ended up killing it with a crossbow shot yeah we didn't even get done with the first round of initiative 
because I think Lars was on deck after her, but you know, she finished it off. And we found a treasure pile. It was basically the uh, remains of creatures that this thing had killed. And we found on there a massive 15 foot long long sword with a nice broad solid looking blade very well constructed said uh, the description said that the hilt looked kind of like a skeletal hand and uh, skull and bones motif was very prominent throughout its decoration and it had some uh, giant runes on the blade that named it something along the lines of Nightmare Smiter or Smiter of Nightmares. Um, and um, then you took a hold of it. It resized for you. So now it's down to basically a usable longsword for you. And we found out that it's a plus one longsword. It's pretty nice. Yeah, it's... Um... First, that's our first magical weapon or item, not including potions and scrolls. Right. Permanent magic item for sure. Oh, um, what about the glasses? What glasses? Oh, I'm having game crossover, aren't I? (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. This is, I think our first permanent magic item. So, um, and then, uh, unless that, unless the, uh, alchemist table thing is also a magic item. I don't know. Um, so, but yeah. And then we also found a backpack with a coin purse attached with, uh, roughly 50 gold, 47 gold, and then a 50 gold piece red garnet that, uh, Portia seemed very enamored with. Um, then we left that area, uh, Keelan noticed carvings on the carvings on the wall that looked like tiny feet while we were still in the carrying crawler room. And immediately after that, we went into a a very large circular chamber that had a giant stone slab shaped like a foot suspended from the ceiling and there were also runes on both the north and south walls and um it looked like um i think he described it as like bare footprints and then hundreds of uh severed feet large severed feet just littered the floor all over the place and Um, as soon as we all got into the room, the feet animated and started stomping their way over towards us and started attacking us. Not all of them. Uh, how many were there? I don't remember. There was four, seven, eight max. So I think there was four around you and three or four around. We had five at least because one of them came up behind us. I think we had four along the front and one behind us. I can't remember, but uh, less than a dozen, but getting close. Yeah. uh, Overall between the two groups. Uh, But the real, I mean, 
the more severe threat was the stone foot on the ceiling animated and started moving, just floating over groups of us and smashing down. So Keelan ended up using the scroll of bless on um, myself and the other two that were near me, near enough to me to cast it on. I didn't have another, I didn't have a third target other than myself that time. And then you and Portia and Prue were kind of up on the northeast side of the room, right? Southeast. Southeast? Yeah. Okay. It was, uh, it was the bottom because we had, um, spoiler alert, when uh, we figured out the puzzle, uh, Portia ran to the south wall. Uh, okay. So then... Um, the foot kind of came over towards you guys. And the first time that it stomped down, uh, I don't remember, Prue or Portia barely made... Portia? Yeah. Yeah, barely made the save, so rolled out of the way. Didn't take any damage that time. And then um, uh, also came up with the um, inspiration to as to how to disarm this. And the what, what had to happen... And she communicated that very loudly to the rest of the party was to grab one of the dead feet that we had, the stomping feet that we had killed. And they had to be, one had to be pressed into the north and south wall simultaneously. So Winifred was tearing it up on my side of combat. And, um, and Lars was doing pretty well, not the same kind of damage, but still uh, contributing. And I, all I had done so far was cast a bless spell. So uh, at that point, I ended up uh, taking an attack of opportunity so that I could pick up one of the dead feet over by us, and then I used my action to sprint to the north wall. And Portia was already at the south wall, and it took me... I almost made it there in time, but I uh, I was like, I don't know, 10 feet away from the wall when my turn ended. And then, so the very next turn, uh, the foot stomped again and did catch someone that time, didn't it? It caught um, Prue. Prue. And then we, um, and then Portia and Keelan um, put the feet onto the runes and everything just kind of powered down just poof, and then the the stone foot fell and crumbled into rubble and that was um pretty much it as far as combats that took us actually a few minutes over time and but we did find um two things in the room in the rubble uh we found a um large amber stone with kind of crisscrossing lines or veins on it. Uh, That's probably worth, weighs about 10 pounds, but it's probably worth about 500 gold. And we also found a 30 pound stone slab covered in dwarven runes, uh, important, or sorry, giant runes, the, you know, important runes uh, for the giants. So, and that was 
pretty much the game, right? Yep, that basically wraps it up. All nice, neat, tied up in a bow. Um, and so we, oh, I guess we did take a short rest afterwards. Yeah, and that's that's where we stopped. Yeah, so um, everybody regained some hit points using their hit dice. And, yeah, we're starting to get fairly strung out. And Winifred mentioned that, too, that we really needed to marshal our, uh, marshal our resources. So, uh, because we, until we can get a long rest, you know, get our hit points back, get our abilities and spells. I'm down to one first-level spell slot. I mean, I know I only started with two, but I've already used a scroll and my spell slot for Bless. And I'm trying to keep that last spell slot for um, a heal spell of some kind. You know, if somebody goes down, being able to use healing word or something like that. Uh, but it's um, it, right now it's a slog because we just don't have the depth of abilities that we're going to have when we're higher level. Yeah, there's uh, to for me there is a a lot more combat than I expected. Um, our other D and D campaign is a little bit more relaxed. It's easier on the puzzles. The combat is intense, but there's not a lot of it. And and Teddy's game is just like puzzle combat, puzzle combat, puzzle combat, puzzle combat at the end. Yeah, and yeah, it's, that's right. It's a combat it's, with it's, puzzles. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good it's a good mix, and it's just like. Uh, like we fought the rats and then we fought the giants and then we fought the spiders and then we fought the foot. And it's just like, like I'm sitting here going like, what's next? Like we're, we're handling it just fine, but you know, we're tapping into resources. Like you're saying, you got some spells you're holding back. Um, I think Portia is a spellcaster because she has cure wounds yeah, and that kinda she's used that is, twice to very good effect. Once on Keelan and once on Prue, right? Yep. And um, I think um, everyone told me, since like I have Lay on Hands, is just like that's kind of like our uh, last minute healing. Like if shit hits the fan or something really bad happens, then I can use my lay on hands because everyone was like using all these spells and I'm like, I'm not really a spellcaster yet, but I can still do things and I'm like, I kind of felt left out like, I can heal too, guys, but everyone's like no, 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 don't use those yet because they can save us from dying. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And that's the thing, so here's um, death is really soft in 5th edition, I've found. I mean, certainly possible, but I mean, if you take, if you have five hit points left and you take seven in second edition, you were in your negatives and you started a progression down to negative 10. And when you'd hit negative 10, you died. Um, but in this game, even though you took, it should have taken you to negative hit points, you go to zero and you start making death rolls, which, um, gives, anyone in your party that can stabilize you time to get to you in order to save you. So <clears throat> there's, there's a lot that I think is softer about death, but it definitely changes the game dynamic because in, um, in second edition, you needed somebody over to 
assist you immediately because you were going to start making system shocks, system shock rolls every time you lost another hit point and got closer to negative 10. And if a, and if a blow took you to negative 10, you were just done. It, I mean, there was no, there was no rolls about it. So in this, in this one though, a, a character going to zero, if you can put one hit point into them, they can hop back up and start swinging their sword again or casting spells again or whatever. So, uh, that's why, you know, what you were talking about with your ability, you can spread that out. Can't you? Yeah, I, I can do it five times. You can, you can lay on hands five times. Yeah. And how much do you, how much healing do you get each time? Uh, it's, um, I'd have to look at it, but I think it's my level times five. I don't know if it's a plus five or a times five. Okay. So, and, and can each time you lay on hands, can you like touch multiple people and give like each person a point or each person two points, or do you have to do all each instance of laying hands on one person? I honestly, I don't know how that works because that's the, that's a mechanical question that I don't know how, because uh, I'm first time playing as Paladin, sure. and so I, I really don't know. So if you can, though, that makes it even more powerful, because you could have three dead characters in front of you, and if you can do five points of healing and one lay on hands, you could give all three of them one, and then maybe spend the extra two points on one of the characters, or however you did it. But you could you can literally get all three characters up from zero and dying to back on their feet and fighting just with, yep. a, just with one, one hit point. So I agree that, uh, we definitely need to marshal our resources, especially healing resources at this point, because rather than topping up someone to be at full hit points, um, it's, I think it's a better strategy to hold your healing in reserve until someone goes down. I mean, if you've got a character that's at one hit point, obviously maybe topping them up is a good idea. Or, you know, or I'm saying really low hit points, but um, maybe not just all the way, but, you know, giving them the ability to at least absorb a hit. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that I agree that we should be holding things in reserve until someone actually goes down and then getting them back on their feet and back into combat instead of, because, I mean, for instance, if someone spent, if you spent a, um, a lay hands on Keelan to get me topped off, and then um, one of the other characters who was already at full hit points ends up going down, I mean, Keelan doesn't take any, you've wasted that healing on me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's um, just different mechanics uh, the, as far as death goes. So... Um, yeah, had a, had a really good time though. Lots of combat, like you said, lots of puzzles to solve. So, uh, is there, uh, anything else that we need? Oh, you know what? Uh, I was talking about, um, doing a, uh, session where we were, where we would talk about, uh, each person's character a little bit. So why don't we, we've, this, this one's already, uh, I don't know, we're 52 minutes in. Why don't we um, call this one? And then um, in the next game, what I want to do is 
to start talking about each person's character a little bit uh, towards the beginning of the show uh, or at the end, however it works out, where uh, basically uh, we highlight some of the stuff that uh, their characters did that we thought was awesome in the game. Um, if we did a real quick one for this episode, um, so uh, the Winifred picking the lock, so even if the other, if you guys hadn't teleported through, um, I thought that was a great moment because he basically got the doors open. And even if nobody else had been able to get through with the teleport, Keelan would have ended up being saved because the doors got opened. So I thought that was awesome. Did you have anything for Winifred? Um, I just really enjoy how calm and collective Winifred is. Yeah. He's, he's not like, he just doesn't take any BS and he's just like, this is just like a normal everyday occurrence for him is half of the things. And he, there's like no time clock on him. He's just very like, I'll get things done on my own time. And also has been dealing crazy amounts of damage. Yes. So I thought, um, that's definitely been helping us out quite a bit. Um, Okay, so uh, for for Prue, um, the the crossbow shot that killed the carrion crawler, that was pretty awesome. Um, and the other thing is, Prue brings a different skills skill set to the party. You know, when when we were doing the the team exercises, you know, where we clearing rubble and shoring up the ceiling, um, you know, just the different abilities that um, skills that she brought to you know made different roles so if we were you know if Teddy said okay you everybody has to make a, a acrobatics role on this there's gonna be some characters that are good at it and some that aren't but fortunately a lot of the stuff that he's doing is you can do this this or this because all three of those make sense and you pick and it seems like Prue has a lot of those different skills. So I think it kind of fills in with some of the stuff that the other characters are lacking. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, another thing I would like to add is just, you know, being like in encountering with her, like talking with her, she's very reserved and collective. Um, I always enjoy any moment she has to interact with Lars or Winifred. Or Winifred. Yeah. It seems like she's she's like getting along with um, Portia pretty well. Um, I haven't had much interaction with her, uh, and you know, and that's that's fine. But it's just like she's really playing her character well. Yeah, I think so. And we kind of talked about role play, but and then yeah. in speaking of that, once again, uh, Portia obviously very gregarious in the way that. Um, um, Portia presents herself. So, um, and, but, so my highlight from this game has to be the fact that Portia figured out the foot trap and communicated it so quickly. And we were able to get that thing shut down on, I think it was round three. It was very quick. Yes. It was either three or four. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty quick. Um, so, uh, how about Lars? I I still say that my 
once again, uh, great role play. I think that um, you don't you don't hear a lot out of Lars, but every time that you do, it's <laughs> like when he casts uh, oh, the the spell that uh, where you're insulting someone. Vicious mockery. Yeah, vicious mockery. <laughs> so he's calling the carrion crawler uh, like you're. Like something about it, the carrying crawler's mom, or um, I, <laughs> it's always funny stuff. Um, and uh, honestly, um, I'm Keelan's still kind of in flux. I I don't have a so I think the best thing that uh, I did the entire game was freeing you, so that you could take your turn on the spider. So that's my hit of the game for my own character. What do you think yours was for Tabane? Um, probably like combat, like dealing damage and being a target so others can, you know, do their thing. Uh, like I said, I'm the, I, I envision her as like a guardian. So like as time will progress, she'll have more like defensive skills and, all this other stuff like so i'm really trying to make her effective in combat but also like outside of combat like very empathetic towards the party because these are the people she's traveling with now yep. um you you know we may not know each other all that well but we we're working very well together for uh ragtag group of adventurers that just met each other yeah i think that um like i said i think that this has been our best session as far as interaction with one another and um you know cooperation so um yeah anyway had a good time uh looking forward to next week's uh campaign and um so anything else before we uh, get done with this and i put it in the can no, I got nothing. All right, man. Well, as always, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. Uh, hope you have a good 4th of July, man. Yeah, you too. Uh, yeah, headed out for a barbecue soon. So, um, all right. Well, everyone, uh, thanks again for listening in and uh, want to extend an invitation once again to everyone in the group that uh, if you're interested to come on and chat with Kat and I. And uh, until next time, we will catch you later. Talk to you later, Kat. See ya.